Father in heaven, worthy is your name. God, we cannot say that enough. Worthy is your name. Your name is above every other name. There is no other God besides our God. You are the one true and living God. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your love never fails. Your mercies are new every morning. And Father, every time we gather together in your name, you are here in the midst. Jesus, we recognize your presence today. We recognize your love and your grace. We stand on the truth of the word of God. We declare the enemy must go in the name of Jesus. He shall not disrupt or destroy the work that you have started in our hearts. You are faithful to complete every work you began. The enemy will not come against your word in the name of Jesus. We declare that the word of God is true and we will stand on the word of God because your promises never fail. Jesus said, remain in the truth and it will set you free. God, there is much to be set free from in this life and in this world, God, and you have paved the way through the blood of Jesus Christ to be set free from every sin, every stronghold, every struggle. We proclaim that blood over us right now in the name of Jesus. We ask you, God, to guard our hearts and minds as we listen to your word, as we allow the word to saturate our hearts. God, you promised your word would never return void, that when you send it out, it accomplishes everything that you will for it to accomplish. So God, accomplish something great in our hearts today. Accomplish something great in this place today. Let your glory be revealed for you are the true and living God. You are worthy of our praise. May our hearts never be turned aside, but let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As we stand on your promises today in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for being here. And for those of you that helped us, we're part of the setup crew today, volunteering in any position or spot. We thank you for being here. There's a lot to, to get accomplished today. We've had several people out this week vacationing, last second vacationing, and, and uh, so there are a lot of gaps. And I'm thank, thankful for everyone who stepped up to help us uh, get everything going and enable us to do the ministry that we do here each and every week. And thank you for those of you that just came and, uh, and are here to be a part of what God is doing. I, am, I believe with my heart that if you come anytime the church gathers with an open heart and mind, God is going to do something miraculous in your life. And uh, we believe everyone matters to God. We just sang a song that said, you who know all the stars by name. Did you know there are more stars in the universe than we have words on the earth? If you combine all the words in every language together, there are more stars in the universe than there are words that we have, and yet God knows every star by name. And the scripture says that if God cares for his creation, how much more does he care for the child of God? God knows every hair on your head, even the one most of us just lost a second ago. He knows every hair you had, every hair you do have. He knows every freckle, every pimple, every cell. He knows you deeper and truer than you know yourself because he cares for you. Why? Because you matter to him. And so I pray that you feel that today. You sense the love of God for you today. We're embarking on a new journey through the scriptures. This is something that is a journey that God has been taking uh, myself, my, my wife, my family over uh, the course of five, six years now. And, uh, and so we're going to be going through this together in the word of God. And my prayer is that God reveals himself to you today in a way that he has never revealed himself before, that we receive a fresh outpouring of his spirit today, that we receive a fresh revelation as we uncover what God's word declares about what I believe is a very, very important subject. The title of this series is called The Wind. The Wind. In the Bible, there are essentially two main words. There, there are others, but there are two main words that uh, the Bible uses for the word wind. There's one in the Old Testament, and there is New Testament counterpart also found in the New Testament. Now, to, to 
just set the stage here. The Old and New Testament, they were originally written in different languages. The Old Testament was written in the language of Hebrew. The New Testament was written in the language of Greek. And so in the Old Testament, the word for wind is the Hebrew word ruach. Somebody say ruach. You got to get the phlegm going. That's how, how you got to get the, if you're going to be a proper Hebrew speaker, you got to get the phlegm going. So ruach, it's the word. And it really just means to blow, to breathe, or wind. It's very simple. In the New Testament, there's a New Testament counterpart to this word. It's written in Greek. It is the Greek word pneuma. Say pneuma. Pneuma. And it simply means a current of air, breath, or a blast, or a breeze. This is the wind. But there's a commonality between these two words that is very significant. is because these two words are the words in the Old and New Testament that the Bible uses to refer to the Holy Spirit. The wind of God. The Spirit of God is the wind of God. He is the very breath of of God. If you think back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, it says that as he was surveying everything, he created the Spirit of God, the Ruach, the wind of God, was hovering or blowing over the waters. This is the Spirit of God. We see in Genesis 2, as God formed man, he created all the living creatures, and God formed man from the dust of the ground, and God breathed into man. He ruached into man, and man became a living soul. In Genesis chapter 7, in the the flood account, as God is describing how uh, the, the world was destroyed with the flood, it said all those who had the breath of life, or the ruach of life, the spirit of God within them perished on the earth. When God created us, he used the ruach, the wind, the Holy Spirit of God to create life, to make us a living soul, to give us our lives. In the New Testament, the word pneuma is the spirit of God. And he is also the one that brings us spiritual life. That is, Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says this, the spirit of God or the pneuma of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. If you're a believer in Christ, the pneuma of God, the spirit lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same pneuma living within you. When Jesus returns, sets up his kingdom, he's going to resurrect our bodies. Those who have died will be resurrected from the grave. Those who are still living will be brought together. We'll meet the Lord in the air and he will change our bodies from bodies that are stained by sin, cursed with death, to bodies that are free from sin and that will never die. That will be eternal. And he will do this by the pneuma, the Holy Spirit. The wind of God, the Spirit of God is not a what. This is important. The Spirit of God is not a what, like an impersonal force. Like we're watching the trilogies of trilogies of Star Wars. We're learning about the force and may the force be with you. And if I think hard enough, I can move a stone from A to B. No, this is not the force. This is not Star Wars. The Spirit of God, the Ruach, the Pneuma, he is a person. He is not an impersonal force. He is a person. He is a who. He is one of the members of the Trinity. The Spirit of God is equal to God because he himself is God. And without God, you cannot have the Spirit. And yet, I think if we're honest, especially if you've been a Christian for a very long time, that if you're honest and thinking about the Spirit of God as a who and not a what, you would say, and I would say, it is easier to relate to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior than it is to relate to the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's easier to identify, to relate, to think about relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Savior than it is to think about relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of mystery surrounding the Spirit of God, and because of such, my personal opinion is I believe the Holy Spirit of God is probably the most divisive person in any church. 
The Spirit of God is the most divisive person in any church, not because he divides, but because there's so much disagreement on what is his ministry, what his work is, what he does, and what we can and should expect from the Spirit of God. What we should believe about him and how we should respond to him. But it's interesting, in John chapter 16, verse 7, something so significant that Jesus says that we often miss. Here's what Jesus says in John 16, verse 7. He says, but in fact, it is, what's that word? Best for you that I what? That I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, the word advocate is another title for the Holy Spirit. It's a different Greek word. It is the Greek word parakletos. And the definition for parakletos is one who is summoned, called to one's side, especially called to one's aid. That's why, depending on the translation of Scripture you use, it is, he's either called the advocate here or the helper, the comforter, or the counselor. All of these words are kind of interchangeable with this Greek word parakletos. But what's interesting is Jesus is referring to the comforter or the advocate or the counselor or the helper. He says that it is best that he goes away. Not that it's good that he goes away or it was a cool idea that he goes away or, or you know, it's just something he thought of one day. Hey, I'm just going to go away. No, he said, it is best that I go away, that I leave. So the paraclete, the advocate, the counselor, comforter, helper will come and that he will send him to us. This is one of the most significant verses in the Bible in relation to the Holy Spirit that we need to wrestle with because in my mind, in my opinion, in my own experience, I think we have historically and traditionally misunderstood what it is to have a relationship with God simply because we do not understand who it is we have a relationship with. We use this term, begin a relationship with God, have a relationship with God, but we center it on Christ because he's Savior, and we don't truly understand who it is we have a relationship with. You see, if you think back to the Bible times, the disciples of Jesus had a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus is God, right? So we know that the Holy Spirit's involved, the Father's involved because he is God. He's part of the Trinity. But if you think about it, the disciples were friends with Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They had experiences with Jesus. Everything they did was Jesus-centric or Christocentric because it was Jesus who was with them. But Jesus left. He left. He is now before the Father in heaven at the right side of the Father in the seat of power and glory where he stands advocating for us on our behalf. Jesus is in glory. He is not here. But there is someone who has taken his place. There is someone who is here. For now in modern times, Though because of salvation, we are friends with God, we're friends with Jesus, we're heirs, we're, we're brothers and sisters of Christ, heirs to the promises of God, we're sons and daughters of God. But our primary relationship is not with Jesus because Jesus is not here in the flesh. And I recognize that he said when two or more gathered in his name, he is here, but last time I checked, no one has seen Jesus with his eyes. Is Jesus here physically right now? No. No. Do you see him? No. But he is here spiritually. Hallelujah. Spiritually. You see, he is here. There is one who is here who is our counselor, one who is here who is our teacher. He is our companion. He is the pneuma of God, his very breath, the wind of the most high. It is the Holy Spirit. He is here. Let me ask you this question. When you think of having a relationship with somebody, what do you think of? Not just in beginning a relationship, but cultivating a relationship with that person. You think of spending time with that person, right? You got to be with them. You have to talk to them. You have to listen to them. 
You have to have memorable experiences with them that helps cultivate that relationship, maybe even learn from them because of seeking advice when you're going through a certain situation. And the more and more you engage in these activities, the greater your familiarity is with this person, the more you get to know them, and the stronger the bond that you have with that person. Now, don't get me wrong. I think as a church and as believers, our message needs to be gospel-centric. It's Jesus-focused because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes into the Father but by Jesus Christ. We do not compromise on the gospel. But seriously, stop and think about this. If Jesus is gone, but the Spirit has come, why is it that we neglect that relationship with the Spirit while we wait on the one to be restored with Jesus at his coming? Why do we wait for Jesus to come to solidify this relationship and ignore the one we have with the Holy Spirit? I mean, how much energy and effort do you put in cultivating your relationship with the Holy Spirit, communing with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, ministering in the Spirit, and even praying in the Spirit? Maybe the reason we feel so distant from God, sometimes we feel like maybe God isn't hearing us or we feel so far away. And why we feel like there can be or even should be something more to this Christian life, something more tangible that we could feel, that we could experience, something greater out there than just reading our Bible and coming to services on Sunday. There's something more we should be experiencing with God. We feel like that maybe, and we can't seem to figure out why we feel like that. And maybe because we've become disconnected and discontented with our relationship with God at times, because our faith isn't as real as we think it should be, because we've not cultivated a relationship with the one who is already here, with the Holy Spirit. This is why we continually float between doubt and disbelief rather than standing in confident faith and in his promises. Because the best relationship we could have, the very relationship that empowered Jesus and that guided Jesus while he was here is the very relationship we've neglected. Maybe because even we thought that if we pursue a relationship with the Holy Spirit, what might happen if we pursue the wind of God, he might carry us on a journey that is a little uncomfortable or maybe we, we wouldn't be able to really wrap our minds around. It might be a little scary and thus it deterred us from pursuing him because we're just not sure what might happen. Things about the Spirit are uncomfortable. But whatever the case may be, whatever reason why we've not focused on this relationship with the Spirit, the, the best relationship Jesus said that we could have, whatever the case is, and no matter where you are on, in your spiritual journey and your relationship with God, I believe that until the church corporately and even this church here in, at Vertical Life Church, until we are a Holy Spirit-filled church, a Holy Spirit-led church, empowered church, motivated church, educated church, we will never become the church Christ intended for us to be. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you receive the power to be my witnesses. Until we have the power, we will not be effective witnesses. It is the Spirit of God who leads us into all truth. It is the Spirit of God that tells us the future. It is the Spirit of God that gives spiritual gifts. It is the Spirit of God that works miracles. It is the Spirit of God that searches the heart and mind of God and reveals the deep and mysterious things that we can't comprehend. It is the Spirit who inspired the Scripture. It is the Spirit that teaches us what the Scripture means. It is the Spirit who encourages us. It is the Spirit who admonishes us when we sin. And it is the Spirit who guides us to make wise decisions. The most important relationship we have on this side of salvation and on this side of heaven is the one we cultivate with the Holy Spirit. So much so that Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That's pretty significant. Let the Spirit of God guide your life. Then you won't fall prey to your sinful nature. And that phrase, guide your life, or let the Spirit guide your life, can also be translated as be occupied 
with the Holy Spirit. Be occupied. Let all of your attention, let all of your effort and energy be centered on the Holy Spirit. That if we truly want to live holy lives, I believe Paul is telling us, if we truly want to live lives that are glorifying to God, that avoid sin and enacts us as a conduit of God's love into the world, a life that brings glory and honor to Jesus, that honors his death and his resurrection, it will be lives that are consumed and occupied with the wind of God, with the Holy Spirit. So through this series, we're going to be unpacking really who is the Holy Spirit, the characteristics of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, the baptism and gifts of the Spirit. But today, I want to set the stage by revealing something that God revealed to me over the last few years, something that God has really just been changing the mindset of my my concept, my understanding of what this Christian life is all about, what ministry, the church is all about. He's been revealing this to me in something that I've struggled with even in my own life and heart. And it's centered around the Holy Spirit. But there are two, there's essentially two camps of belief, two camps of thought of belief when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're here today and you find yourself in one of these two camps. Maybe you have no idea where you fit. You just came to church because you thought, hey, I'm going to come to church today. But uh, usually, historically, there's one or two camps. You might find yourself in one of these two areas. But uh, one camp there is called the cessationists. The cessationists believe that the Holy Spirit's ministry and the ways of spiritual gifts and the miraculous things that he does, that those gifts and that ministry ceased at the completion of the scripture, when the Bible was completed, the, at the penning of the book of Revelation, they believe that the need for spiritual gifts has come to an end, and now the Christian life is basically comprised of worship and Bible study and prayer and Christian fellowship. Uh, the other camp are called the continuationists, which believe the ministry and miracles and gifts of the Spirit continue today and are just as relevant today as they were in Acts chapter 2 when God poured out his spirit upon all flesh. Now for me, I used to be a staunch cessationist. When I was attending Bible college and working at a Christian bookstore, I spent most of my time trying to convert all the other, you know, wacky believers that I thought were cuckoo, like a cuckoo's nest, and uh, trying to convince them, hey man, you need to get your heart right and, and start believing, you know, this way. I mean, like, that's just wacky. You know, and it, just, it just was beyond me why people would think and feel that way. And I argued against that. I was a pretty staunch uh, cessationist. If you know me, I'm pretty stubborn too. So it takes a lot to convince me of anything when I have something uh, sealed in my heart as being true. But over the course of a few years, through God delivering me from some strongholds in my own life and allowing me to experience some pretty incredible things, I have been given the privilege of learning the truth of Scripture, of what the Bible actually reveals about the Spirit, and experiencing some of those things even in my own life. And so now, in my faith journey, I would consider myself a card-carrying charismatic, if there is such a thing. And uh, before you get freaked out, because that's one of those buzzwords, charismatic, what, what does that mean? Let me explain to you what charismatic means, because charismatic is not a word that we should be afraid of. The word charismatic actually comes from a Greek word that is charisma. And it's in the scripture, and it just means a divine gift. When Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts, that word is charisma, and it means a divine gift. Now, the word charisma comes from another word, which is charis. And charis means grace. So in essence, the gifts of the Spirit are really gifts of divine grace, now that sounds a little better other than what we have in our minds from charismatic or, or that term that we have labeled essentially a derogatory term for those who would practice a more of a Pentecostal style faith. But something that I want you to see in the scripture is in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. This is a very common passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, if you're leading somebody to Christ or talking about faith, oftentimes this verse is quoted. But what we'll see here is that Paul tells the churches of Ephesus, go ahead and read this verse with me. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Well, here it says, God saved you. 
Go, by, go, go back, Reese. Go back to one. It says, God saved you by his charis, his grace. God saved you by his charis, his grace. And what does Paul say that charis is? It's a gift. Is God's grace divine? Is God's grace a divine gift? Salvation is a spiritual gift given to you by God. No different than any other spiritual gift listed in Scripture. So by the definition of what the words actually mean in Scripture, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you too are a charismatic because you've been given a divine gift through the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's divine grace. Beginning to unpack what the Word of God actually says and allow the Word of God to begin to transform my heart and my mind has begun to take me on a journey to understand who the Spirit is and how He works and what's he, what He wants to do in my life. And I've seen and experienced some pretty charismatic, some pretty incredible things. And now I believe as best as I know how and can understand and that my faith now mirrors the truth of Scripture more than it has ever been. And I believe today I'm closer to the Lord than I have ever been because of pursuing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And probably the most important lesson that I've learned about the Spirit and about anything and everything that pertains to the Spirit of God, who He is, what He wants to do, what He wants to accomplish in us, what's he, what He wants to accomplish through us, and what we need to have is the foundation of our understanding as we talk about the wind of God is that everything the Spirit exists to be and do is centered around God's love. It's God's love. The core concept of the Holy Spirit, the core concept of this message is that He endeavors to help us experience the love of God to us so that love from God or for God would come from us and that his love would then flow through us to others. The Holy Spirit exists to help us experience God's love so that we would love God more and that his love would then through us to others to help them experience God's love. This is everything the Holy Spirit exists for. Think about this. Have you ever wondered why in the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, that's where we get the bulk of our understanding about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, and, and uh, how to properly use them in a church gathering. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, if you've read those, if you haven't, I encourage you this week to read 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. We'll be talking about a lot of that through the series. But if you've read that before and you've kind of uh, talked, uh, seen how in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins to talk about all the different spiritual gifts, how we're united together and each person is, is different but equal and, and how we all have something to contribute to the church. And then in chapter 14, he begins to talk about those gifts and which gifts are, are important and how to use them in the church and what's the proper way and improper way to, to use spiritual gifts. Have you ever wondered why in the middle of chapter 12 and chapter 14, sandwiched in between is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the whole chapter is about love. Probably the greatest, most profound and poetic description of perfect divine love ever in human history is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's sandwiched in between that the gifts exist, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts, and here's how to use the gifts. It's right there, right in the middle. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul says, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
Paul begins 1 Corinthians chapter 13 by stating that it doesn't matter how talented you are, how blessed you are, how gifted you are, how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how many miracles God does through you, that if you do not have love, it does not matter, and God does not even honor it. And at the end of chapter 13, in verse 13, Paul says three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. This chapter is sandwiched between the gifts and the use of the gifts. But the thing we have to remember is that as Paul is penning these words, as he's writing the words in this book to the Corinthians, Paul wrote in another letter revealing to us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired by God. That essentially, even though Paul is penning these letters, the source of the information is really the heart of God, is really coming from God. That word inspired in 2 Timothy 3.16 is the Greek word theonoustos. It's two words together, theos meaning God, and paneo meaning um, uh, the spirit or breath. So the word inspired could literally be translated as God-breathed. But paneo is the root of the word that we use for the Holy Spirit in the Greek, the word pneuma. So essentially, as we're thinking about Scripture, even though Paul is writing this letter, and it's, it's like reading a Facebook post from the apostle, it is God that is actually speaking to us. It is God who is breathing. It is the Holy Spirit of God who is instructing Paul, who is guiding Paul, who is inspiring Paul, who is breathing on Paul to write to us. So as we read these, these verses about love, it is not Paul that is speaking to us. It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is telling us, without love, prophets you in nothing. That without love, it doesn't matter what we do. That at the end of time, there will be three things that exist, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The Spirit of God who's inspiring, who's breathing, who is instructing, who is guiding, is communicating and declaring a truth that everything we do, everything we could experience, everything we could hope to understand needs to be and is centered on the love of God. In the Spirit of God, it is inviting you into a truth in 1 Corinthians 13. That every miraculous thing we can encounter through his ministry and through his work has one purpose. That we would experience God's love. That we would love God more. And that we'd become a conduit from God, for God's love to flow out into other people. And this is the lens that we need to use as we study the ways of the wind of God, as we study who he is and what he wants to do and what he can do and will do through our faith. And this truth came to light as I was meditating on the love of God one day. I was, I, I was just thinking about his love and studying the word and the spirit of God revealed something else to me about this truth that everything he exists for is uh, centered on love. There are times when my wife and I will be engaged in what I call fierce fellowship. It's not real gracious and kind and encouraging. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you may have some fierce fellowship with a coworker or a boss or spouse from time to time. But there are times, I know it's hard to believe, but during fierce fellowship, there may or may not be an occasion where I lose my temper and say something out of character and and then have to go repent about it later. But whenever that happens, whenever I say something out of anger or say something that, that was out of character, oftentimes the Holy Spirit will bring me to a verse that, that I've read multiple times. Jesus, in Luke 6, 45, he says something pretty significant. He says, A good person produces good things out of the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces things out of the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So when that happens, when I lose my temper and say something unkind or, or, or in the heat of a moment say something that, that wasn't right or wasn't encouraging, this flashes in my mind. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And I have to analyze, God, what is in my heart that is producing these things? Is there a resentment? Is there a bitterness? Is there an unforgiveness that is causing this to flow out of my heart? 
And so this is a verse that I think about from time to time, and it's one of the verses I've memorized and the Spirit uses in my life. But as I was thinking about the love of God, this verse came up. He says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. And as I begin to think about this, he reminded me of something else. In John chapter 1, verse 1, the, the apostle John, as he's writing his gospel, he starts out his gospel saying something very unique about Jesus. He says this, he says, in the beginning was the what? Was the word. So in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus, or the apostle John is confirming to us that Jesus is the very word of God. He is the spokesperson, the, the representative. He is the very representation of God with all authority, all glory. Matter of fact, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father Jesus is the manifestation of God here on the earth. In John chapter 1, verse 3, he continues, and he said, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. If you think back to Genesis 1, we mentioned a second ago, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did God create everything there is? He spoke. He spoke. God's words, or the word, created everything created everything. God's thoughts were made manifest into physical reality through the word. Jesus is the physical manifestation of the thoughts of God. He is the reality of what is thought in God's mind. And Jesus said, again, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the very word of God. Now going back to what Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, Jesus said, what you say or your words flow from what is in your what? Heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. In John 12, 49, Jesus said, I don't speak on my own authority. It is the Father who sent me. He has commanded me to say what I said and how to say it. So even though Jesus is the word of God, we know he's a person, he has his own mind, he doesn't say anything that's not directed by the Father. So if Jesus is the word and what you say flows from what is in your heart, then that makes the Father the heart. If Jesus is the word and what you say flows from what is in your heart, that makes our heavenly Father the heart of God as Jesus is the word of God. So what Jesus is, what he has said, has flow, flowed directly from the very heart of God. Of God, And what do we see time and time again flow from the Father's heart? Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great what? Love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. John 4.8.9, 1 John 4.8.9 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Jesus came into the world to reveal the Father's heart. And the Father's heart for the world is a heart of love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Jesus is the word. The Father is the heart. And his heart for you and me, and his heart for the world is a heart of love. And Jesus was sent into the world to reveal the Father's heart. Jesus said in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than this than a man who would lay his life down for his friends. God sent Jesus to reveal the greatest love there could ever be and sent it in the face and in the form of Jesus Christ. Now, in thinking about this, that what you say flows from what is in your heart. Jesus is the word of God. The Father is the heart of God. What does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. I'm gonna tell you. So my wife and I, we were both music majors in college. And as part of being a music major, especially vocal majors, we had to learn a little bit of anatomy to learn how to sing correctly and make sure we weren't ruining our voices. And, and so part of learning how to sing, you have to learn how the body functions. And if you think about it, you think about it like this. In order to make a sound, in order for your thoughts to become physical reality in either speech or singing... Something has to happen. Your 
lungs have to be compressed by your diaphragm, and something has to flow through your esophagus, up, up your throat. It has to pass through the vocal folds. It has to be shaped by the palate, the teeth, and the tongues. And as it's squeezed by the vocal folds in just a precise manner, then sound comes out, sound is created. Well, what is that that emanates from the lungs? It's breath. It's wind. It's air. In essence, if you're going to make a sound, then air has to travel through the body at just the right way in order to produce the sound. For your thoughts to become physical reality in speech or singing, air has to flow through your body. In order... For the heart of God to become manifest in physical reality is the word of God. It took the wind of God or the breath of God to connect the two together. You could not have Christ without the Holy Spirit. You could not have the heart demonstrate his love without the Spirit of God even in the conception of Jesus Christ, the Spirit was involved. Luke 1.35, at Jesus's, uh, the time that Jesus was revealed to be born, the angel came to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The pneuma of God, the wind of God will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will become or be called the Son of God. In order for Jesus to come into the world, in order for the heart of God to be manifest in physical reality, the breath of God had to emanate, had to breathe, the wind of God had to blow in order for Christ to come into the world. If Jesus is the word and the Father is the heart, then the Spirit is the wind that connects the two together. And by connecting the heart to the word, he produces miracles. He produces wonders. The immaculate conception, the creation of all life, life itself, the very breath you breathe now has come and has originated by the Holy Spirit. And if God sent Jesus to reveal his love to the world, why do you think he sent the Holy Spirit? He sent the Spirit to connect you to his love. He sent the Spirit of God to connect you to his heart, to connect you, to draw you in to the very heart of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Romans 8, 15, and 16. If you've believed in Christ, Paul writes, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you, that's connection, into, as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father for his spirit joins, that's connection with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. As a man and a wife are joined and as one flesh, one spirit in marriage, so the believer is joined to God as one spirit by connecting through the Holy Spirit. And how are we connected? How are we adopted into the family of God? How are our hearts able to be filled with his love? It is by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is what connects us to God's heart. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how the word says we're adopted into the family. If you think about a family relationship, a family has a bond that is unique and powerful. There is a bond, a family bond. It's a, almost a spiritual thing that you can't really quantify. It's just felt and experienced. It's a connection like no other relationship. And the only way or the only a way you're able to be brought into that connection, that bond in a family, is simply by being born into the family. That's all that it requires. To be born into the family, to experience that bond. And even if, if you think about it, even if the family's not close, they don't get along, they fight and they complain and they gripe, maybe that they don't get along with one another. If there is a person from outside the family that begins to threaten that person you're fighting with, what happens? 
You immediately jump to the aid of your family. Why? Because there is a bond there and you will stand with a person you can't stand if they're in your family against someone that is threatening them. I remember when I was younger, I was in high school and these kids were picking on me. I got picked on a lot. And uh, one day after school, uh, these kids were driving home as I was walking home and, and they came real close, almost to the point of hitting me with their car and they threw glass bottles at me. It was, it was pretty not fun. And uh, I just remember just being really upset by that. And I was, I think I was either telling my parents about that or telling my brother about that. And my brother and I, we never got along. We fought like cats and dogs. We were probably enemies in the same household. We, we never got along. But when I told this story, what happened, he immediately got on the phone and called his friends. And he's like, I want these guys marked. We're going to find out who these guys are. And we're going to teach them a lesson that you don't mess with my family. And the next day, I walked home from school. They followed close behind in their vehicles. There's three different cars. And they were kind of off the side so they couldn't be seen, waiting for this car to drive by and try it again. Now, my brother, who I never got along with, came to my aid. Why? Because there's a bond in a family that you just cannot deny. There's a bond. And you know, the same is true for the family of God. There's a bond that unites us. There's a bond that is more powerful than any circumstance we face. There's a bond that is powerful enough to unite us against every threat There is a bond that is strong enough to help us overcome disagreements and bind us in the love of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body. We've been connected to the body, which is Christ the Lord, by one pneuma, one ruach, one wind of God, the Holy Spirit, and we share the same Spirit, there is a bond that will never be separated because we are connected to the heart of God. We will forever be connected to one another and forever connected to the heart of God. So we might have differences. We might have disagreements. We might be from different contexts in different groups. Paul talks about Jews, Gentiles, slave, or free. But we overcome everything, every disagreement, every argument, every threat, because it is the wind of God that connects us together. It is the wind of God that connects us to Christ. It is the wind of God that connects us to the heart of God. For it is the wind of God that enacts our adoption into his family when we trust in Jesus and is the wind of God that baptizes us into the Lord to receive his righteousness. The wind of God, the Holy Spirit, is God's connective force that brings us into the life-changing experience of being immersed and filled up with his love. This is the Holy Spirit. His presence His ministry, the gifts, his work are all aimed at drawing you deeper into the Father's heart so that he can pour his love into you and pour his love out of you into other people. As we close, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you know the Spirit of God? Do you know him? Do you recognize his voice when he speaks? Have you ever experienced the wind of God blow in your life? Ask yourself, do you feel connected to the heart of God? Is your heart filled with his love? This is the ministry of the Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Do you feel feel your heart filled with the love of God? Is it overflowing in your life into other people? If not, And in just a few moments, when we go into a time of response, I challenge you to begin a journey of seeking the Holy Spirit and asking him to fill you with his presence, to fill your heart with his love until your cup overflows. The word of God says that he has been sent to fill our hearts with the Father's love. Ask him to help you experience the Father's heart, to know how much you're loved by your heavenly Father to know how secure you are in the Father's hand. Ask him to so overflow in your life that your life will begin to uh, impact the lives of other people. Pray today that you would be a conduit of the love of God in your life.
Let's bow for prayer right now. As the music begins to play, whatever God is speaking to you, whatever God is speaking to you, I know the word says whenever the word is preached, God will speak, he will move, it will have an effect. Each and every one of us are being impacted now in our own way, wherever we are in our spiritual journey. Wherever you are, I pray you will respond by coming forward and just kneeling down and beginning that relationship. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've not gotten connected to the heart of God by trusting in Jesus and having the Holy Spirit take root in your heart as his home. In just a minute, my wife and I will be down front and we'll be available to pray with you. We'd love to introduce you to the relationship that will change your life. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. You've trusted in Jesus, but you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You've never sought the Spirit. You've never experienced Him in your life. The majority of your Christian life has been logical assent, anything you've been able to understand with your own mind and understand and control with your own life. And you've yet to take the journey to follow the Holy Spirit, to step out in faith and see what God can do in your life. Begin that journey today by saying, Holy Spirit, today I'm pursuing you. I'm gonna be occupied with you every day of my life. I'm gonna let you guide my life, not just so that I can avoid sin, but so I can glorify God with how much love you flow through my life to other people. Whatever God is doing in your life, you respond. In the name of Jesus. Father in heaven, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you're the miracle maker. I thank you, God, that you have patience and unfailing love. And that so often we need just that gentle care to lead us on the journey, to lead us on the path. But I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would draw every heart. You would draw every heart to respond. And that no matter the need, whether it's a health need, relationship need, God, that they would not be afraid to respond. This is a place where miracles happen. This is the time where we lay ourselves on the altar and see you work and move in a mighty way. So as we go into a time of prayer, I pray that you would draw every heart and everyone that will, will respond in the name of Jesus. As we continue in a time of prayer, we're not going to sing. We're just going to have a few moments. If you'd like to come forward for prayer, we'll be down here at the front. In just a moment, we'll receive the offering and uh, we'll be dismissed.